This is episode number one of the Bearded Marketers. I'm Rob. I'm Corey. Tonight I'm drinking Johnny Walker Black. And what are you t- drinking, Rob? <laughs> I think I have a Moscow Mule tonight. Oh yeah, always good. <laughs> All right, tonight we're going to be talking about the new Google Offers uh, program. I think it's beta right now. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about how people access the internet. We have a few stats from a Nielsen report. Um, also include some information on how people use social media. Yeah, and I think we're going to wrap it up with videos on landing pages and uh, how should we address that. So Okay, sounds go, good. Yeah, let's go ahead and get started with uh, Google Offers. So kind of surfing around uh, this week, I found a good article on Search Engine Land where they talked about um, Google rolling out this new extension for ads. So for people that aren't familiar with, uh, Google allows you some instances on your ads to kind of extend that area for certain things. So a couple examples, you can include locations. So if you have a physical location to your office and you've integrated that with Google Places, you can integrate that into your ads. Uh, You can do call tracking where you can offer a phone number directly from your PPC ads that runs through Google. Well, now they're also taking that a step further and integrating that into their offers product, uh, which was kind of started after they got snubbed by Groupon when they tried to acquire them. So... I think that this could potentially have some big impacts for marketers because if you look at the designs of these ads, they stand out a lot more um, from the search engine results page. In fact, they have their own call to action that stands out quite a bit, um, and you get your own space to kind of pitch your offer. So so where do these show up in the ads? So they're actually on the bottom. So you get your normal ad copy, uh, okay. so your headline, your two standard description, and your um, display URL, but then you also get your ad text below, and it looked pretty short, if I remember correctly, I think just a sentence or two, and then a call to action to actually go view the offer. Okay, so attached to each individual AdWords ad, there could potentially be offers. Right, Okay, correct. gotcha. So you're gaining real estate, you okay. know, and, and PVC has always been a battle of looking different from your competitors since... You know, there's so much on the page that looks so similar. Um, You're always in that constant battle, especially in copy, to look different. And now this is just another, you know, level to uh, add to that. So I think this could potentially impact the sales or the pitch that Groupon and, you know, sites like Living Social have to companies because, you know, obviously what Google has in their court is a huge audience. I mean, they process millions of searches every day. And what makes them a little bit different with their offers product is, you know, with Groupon and Living Social, I typically have to be a little bit more proactive to see the visibility of those offers or someone shares it with me. But now with Google, I can actually get in front of people that might not even really have been looking for said offer. Maybe it's just a base keyword, whether it's, you know, like a security system or basketball shorts or whatever it might be. So there's something to be said for, you know, the greater reach that you can have with these ads and also targeting people that aren't necessarily deal hunters, um, but potentially people that are just normal searchers. But now my deal gets in front of them as well. Okay. So I do have some concerns, which we kind of talked about as well, you know, because your ad sticks out so much more with these offer extensions I think that that's going to cause a lot of people to try to use them. And what can, I think, probably happen there is, and it depends on how Google polices this, is if I am just trying to get in front of people, 
I'm a little bit worried that people start offering things that aren't really good deals just to get that space. So maybe it's like I say something about free shipping, which I, you know, maybe it's free shipping for orders over $50, which I offer anyways. So, you know, the real threat there is if people start abusing this or using it more and more and more, and they're not really good deals, then that has the potential for really polluting that whole element and the perception that searchers have of the value that that brings to them. So, you know, currently Groupon and Living Social, you have to go through them so they can kind of somewhat ensure the quality of those deals and you have to set it up with them. Well, if Google has this automated process, I'm a little bit concerned that quality kind of gets away from them and that affects people's perception of these offers just all together and i think they're even, worthless. Yeah, i think even with Groupon and Living Social, i mean, i don't know how those sales guys are compensated, but mm-hmm. it seems like there are still a bunch of junk right deals in there. And and that's really kind of why i got away from using Groupon and Living Social to begin with because i was sick and tired of getting emails every day with a bunch of deals in them or at least so-called deals that mm-hmm. weren't really deals. Mm. And if the Google search results get inundated with you know, free shipping deal, which right. really isn't a deal. It's something mm-hmm. they always do. Or, you know, 20% off this, We well, we marked up the product to get the 20% off, so it's at our normal price anyway. If, if it fills up with those kinds of deals, um, it be, sort of becomes worthless. Right. And, and you bring up an, a, a point that kind of got me thinking, you know, it, it does also have the potential to affect people's perception of Google as well. You know, if if I'm starting to see these offers all over the place, I don't I don't use Google just for product research or shopping. And if I feel like I'm always inundated with product offers or you're always trying to sell me on something, you know, there is a potential that people get turned off from using your service because they feel like, you know, I'm always trying to get sold or you're always trying to offer me something. So I'm sure Google has to be somewhat concerned that it turns some visitors off if this offer starts getting used more and more and more, how people that come to their service kind of perceive that and how that ties into Google's kind of brand. Right. I think think they're pretty good at understanding which ads people are clicking on. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they'll come up with a way that sort of filters out ads from queries, you know, these offer type things from queries mm-hmm. that, you know, people aren't really clicking on them or they're not converting well. People are clicking right. and then backing up. Right. Things like that. So mm-hmm. they have some of that built in and, and they can use some of that to maybe filter out some of the bad deals as well. Right. So a lot of people are clicking on this one deal because it's mm-hmm. it seems incredible, but then everyone's backing no, up and coming back and, right. and clicking on another deal because mm-hmm. it's, it's really not a good deal. Right. So they can use some of those metrics. I really wonder how big it's ever actually going to get, though, mm-hmm. because I feel like we've seen a lot of these Google AdWords type tests in the past where they completely change up format layouts where mm-hmm. you can enter phone numbers directly into ads. And there's mm-hmm. there's been all sorts of crazy things that seem awesome when they first come out. They don't ever really gain traction. Mm-hmm. They don't ever really go anywhere. Yeah. So I mean, I'll be curious I... to see where this goes. Yeah, I mean, there's some that that do well. I mean, I've had some good success with site extensions um, and understanding, you know, and how I tie that in is looking at landing page traffic and seeing where people are navigating to the website just in general. So kind of tying in my site links from there to give people those navigation options up front. And I've had some really good success with those. Call extensions, I think some people shy away from because for a time, Google was charging extra on top of your CPC for that. So 
a lot of people in the PPC world just run on razor thin margins. So introducing an extra dollar on their CPC, you know, for some people just puts them out of the ball game. Right. Um, or they use they already had a solution. You know, Google is kind of late to the party on that. And by that time, you know, like one of my clients uses call tracking in a different service, and they had to acquire that out of a necessity because Google didn't offer that. No, no one in the PPC, you know that was really worth a damn did at that point. So, so I think they, this one could be a little bit different because again, it looks so, so radically, it makes your ad stand out so much more, but again, it'll be interesting to see how quality is affected by that. Um, and like you said, quality score and things like that and yeah. how Google will turn them off and monitor that as well. I'm curious to see how they really integrate them. I can't see, you know, the normal amount of ads on there. Mm-hmm. complete with you know several offers under each one of them that just seems like it would be incredibly overwhelming right so there's got to be some method by which they filter out ones that don't perform well and that nobody mm-hmm. cares about i'm sure they'll come up with something but in order for them to come up with something that's worthwhile there have to be enough advertisers using it to begin right. with exactly and so it's <laughs> that sort of catch-22 but mm-hmm. um, i think it's an interesting ad concept i know you mentioned site links i mean that's another one that that sort of actually did stick around that people used right um i think moving on I think we have some interesting stats here that Nielsen has reported recently about internet usage. And it's kind of a boring topic, but I think it shows a trend that I think is sort of confirming what everyone feels, at Mm -hmm. least on a daily basis. And that is essentially that fewer people are using desktop computers and laptop computers to access websites. Okay. And they're more and more using their phones or you know, either the browser built into their phone, be it Chrome or Safari or Firefox mm-hmm. or whatever there is they're using, or apps, you know, like the Pinterest app or the Facebook app gotcha. or, you know, whatever it is to access sites through an app. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've definitely seen that on the analytical side of the sites yeah. that I manage, that Moogle is just gaining more and more, um, which is scary for some of my clients because, you know, they feel, which is probably somewhat merited, that it's sometimes more difficult to make the the sale or close the lead on a mobile device. You know, there's a lot of distractions. They feel like they can't necessarily provide as a rich experience with a mobile browser, you know, because they're trying to be cognizant of some people just have terrible uh, phone service. So they can't load up pages really quickly. So, you know, trying to design light pages, but still, you know, good enough to close you know, either a sale or, you know, get someone's information, if, you know, on B2B or a, a lead generation site. Yeah. So it's definitely a trend that I'm seeing, um, but it's also, you know, troubling some. And I think people are having a tough time and knowing how to navigate those waters for sure. Yeah, I think the problem is it's happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, smartphones have been around for a while, but right. it's it's only really the past couple of years where the speeds have been fast enough to where I can actually browse the web comfortably on my phone. And it's starting to be a thing that, that people are doing all the time now. I mean, I remember back in the day, uh, just navigating the web on, you know, I think it was like the edge and even 3g when it first came out was so painful, you know, it was like novelty to do it for a little bit. But after about a couple pages, I felt like I was going to explode. I was just, it was just so slow because you know, computers had gotten to the point where speeds were, you know, decent enough. And the contrasting difference in speed was just, I couldn't handle it. And, you know, 
let alone the amount of sites that didn't actually integrate well for mobile. So you're trying to load up this full site on your mobile browser right. that's, you know, running, just crawling along. Oh, man. Good thing I had one of those brick Nokias or I'd have <laughs> probably thrown it against the wall. Well, it almost harkens back to days before even you and I were using the Internet. I mean, mm-hmm. the Internet was never that slow for us. I mean, that's on true. your phone, you'd pull up Google.com and you would literally wait seconds. Right. And watch the bar mm-hmm. go. I mean, that it was never it was never like that for mm-hmm. us. Right. So that's something that I think people need to be starting to pay attention to. And, mm-hmm. and in terms of audience, the audience of users using PCs and laptops and desktops and and whatever mm-hmm. has actually gone down since last year. It's down four percent. Okay. But at the same time, mobile web users is up eighty two percent. Gotcha. So, so is included in mobile is that tablets as well or do they break those out separately that's i think that's included in mobile Uh, web but i I have a separate statistic on mobile apps okay so people using apps within their phones to to, you know do whatever and that's up 85 percent. okay so there's actually more people using apps to access websites than using actual browsers to access websites if that makes sense yeah and do you think that that's because people choose to use apps or they're kind of pushed into that decision well i think most people are using apps like facebook pinterest Mm -hmm. you know whatever it is and that's what they're really using their phone for so it's all going through apps well and i know that a lot of sites too kind of greet you with even if you navigate there from your browser, the first splash screen you see is, would you like to install our yeah, app? So, yeah. like, I pulled up Fandango the other right. night, you know, I'm trying to get my movie on, uh, which I saw, what was it? Ooh, The Hobbit. Wasn't a big fan, but you know me and fantasies. Well, really, any movie over two I, hours. I don't, I don't a, know you and I'm, fantasies. I'm a, <laughs> come on, Rob, don't, don't play. But um, for, for everyone, I just don't handle fantasy movies very well. Just a lot of walking around and dragons, I just... Not not my, not my steez. But anyway, so I pulled up Fandango just to look up some time. And, you know, they're asking me to download this application and do all these steps when I was trying to do something kind of simple. So I wonder how, you know, other sites that kind of go through that process and kind of force, you know, that decision on you. And, you know. Well, here's actually a good example of, I know a site who does that. I mean, it's mm-hmm. link. I go to LinkedIn. You go to LinkedIn.com mm-hmm. on your phone. It, it forces you to get the app. It doesn't force you, but right. it prompts you. Mm-hmm. You get the app. The problem with the app is there are several major functions that, that aren't you per- try to perform on the website that are not in the mm-hmm. app. Mm-hmm. And doing them on the mobile version of the website are pain for as well. Ah. So I have to figure out how to get over to the full version <laughs> on my phone to do something. But you've already downloaded the app. Right. So you've already spent, you know, it's, and if you're on a limited headache. time. And, I, and I, these are these are things that people need to start paying serious attention to because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, like we were just saying, the audience for people using their phones on the Internet is exploding right now. Right. It's it's at least half of what people using mm-hmm. you know, desktops and laptops are. So right. it's something you need to be paying attention to. And those sorts of pitfalls in your usability scheme, mm-hmm. um, those are going to become unacceptable. I mean, right. that, that's stuff that is completely frustrating to users and is, is not going to be acceptable in coming years. Yeah. And I'd be interested. I mean, I don't, I haven't looked at any studies, but the available, you know, and this would be a tough study to do, but really looking at almost the attention span of those users. So what is the attention span that I have on a desktop versus mobile and the average time available per session that, that users have. So to using, using your example, if I go through the, all those LinkedIn steps, 
you know, and I'm a mobile user and, you know, studies show that on average, mobile users only digest half as much internet time per session, let's say, than desktop viewers. And you have those holes in your usability in that process. Well, you just wasted all that. And if you've taken up their full session, I also think that you've kind of increased your frustration in that company as well, because now it feels like, well, you've wasted all my time instead of some of my time. Um, So like you said, I think that people really need to start kind of paying attention to that much more uh, strictly and and understanding what will be a better holistic kind of experience for them, for sure. Right. And, And sort of on your topic of how much time people spend on the devices, I think this speaks to just what you were just saying. So the audience of people using mobile is about half of people using desktops. But Mm -hmm. at that same time, um, total number of minutes spent on a mobile phone, you know, browsing the Mm -hmm. internet was about 28.1 billion minutes last year. Mm -hmm. On a PC, laptop, whatever, it was 362 billion. So massive difference. Right. Which, yeah, it would be what I would imagine. So people are doing the time-intensive stuff still on their desktops, mm-hmm. obviously, and just sort of cruising, maybe brief research and looking up the one thing the guy said at the bar who right. no one believes that. Right. So yeah. You got to look that up on the Google and at the uh, bar. Yeah, and he was full of bullshit, definitely. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, even beyond that, you know, and looking at total time, but what is, like I said, what is session length as well? Yeah. So, you know, that's total time for the year, but... You know, if we go back to the Facebook example, you know, maybe I'm just using my phone in like quick two, three minute bursts or four minute bursts. And if that's, you know, what I have available, you know, then I really need to be careful of what I'm trying to get my users to do in that in that time frame and potentially pushing them into an app might not be the best solution at that point. Or, you know, if I'm looking at things a little bit more long tail, then Maybe I do push them into an app and hopefully kind of recoup them later on uh, than just seeing that icon always in their uh, app screen. And, you know, hopefully I can reconnect yeah. then. So, yeah, I mean, that's not exactly the the stat you're speaking to, but I think it hints at, mm-hmm. you know, what you're talking to. And, and that is that people obviously using their phones a lot, but at short, short terms, you know, right. I'm, I'm looking, I'm checking my Facebook really quick. Mm-hmm. I scroll through it for a few seconds and I close it down. Right. And I think that's what most people are doing on the web. But. I feel like we're we're on the path to that stuff is starting to change now. Mm-hmm. I mean, even a couple of years ago, people weren't doing that. Right. Yeah, exactly. I didn't feel comfortable doing that. Right. Yeah. So these are things I think you need to start in the implications in terms of how are we going to be designing websites? And like we were just talking about apps and do you force people to get apps and how do we design our mobile sites themselves versus full sites? Mm-hmm. These are massive things that we need to start thinking about as marketers because the demographic is changing in terms right. of what kind of devices they're using in a drastic way, very right. quickly. So Yeah, and, and like one thing that I've noticed that I, I feel like websites just haven't really caught on to yet, um, and, and using mobile as an example, is there is a distraction-rich environment on a mobile device, whether that's text messages coming in, whether that's a Facebook message. I mean, you have tons of push notifications that can happen. And I feel like most sites when I'm accessing them on a mobile device, do a terrible job of trying to collect in a, whether it be slick or non-slick way, some sort of information from me to connect later on if that, if that session gets interrupted. So I think that 
as marketers, one thing that we need to broach a little bit better is how do we, in, in a way that's not necessarily intrusive or turns visitor off, but uh, get some information from them to reconnect later on um, and continue that session, whether that's actually on that device itself or maybe on a different one. And we're going to talk later on about, you know, rich experiences, and this might be, you know, a good segue into it. But I think that that is one thing in particular we need to do a little bit better of is as people land, as we're seeing them engage with our sites, uh, how do we get to that connection point where we can follow up with them and make sure that they're following things to for, through for fruition, if I could talk. Johnny Walker's kicking in. Come on. <laughs> All right. Sort of segueing over into our next topic, which is how people use social media websites, which is you know primarily what people use when they're talking about their, using their phone and Internet. Mm-hmm. Um, 20% of the time spent on PCs on the Internet is time spent on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Pinterests of the world. Okay. And 30% of the time spent on mobile devices internet-wise, okay. is spent on social media so websites. 50% increase. We'll reach out. 50% more time uh-huh. spent, yes. 50% but still... more creeping. <laughs> cre- and that's exactly what it is, let's yeah. be honest. You get the creep on. It's it's creeping on Facebook photos and Instagram mm-hmm. photo feeds. Right. What am I missing out especially, on in other people's lives? Especially around summertime, creeping oh, on the summer yeah. albums. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> All right, so... How people spend their time on social media sites, 100% of people spend it creeping on other people's photos. So this is a given. But Mm -hmm. in terms of what what else they do, 65%, at least according to Nielsen, Mm -hmm. and I think we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the validity of these stats, or at least the perceived validity, learn about brands, products, and services on social media websites. And that's how they... can you see my eyebrows (laughs) furring right now? I can hear them (laughs) through the microphone. Okay, so let's let's sixty five percent of people look up research brands through social media at least once a month. At least once. Sixty five percent of people learn more about brands, products, slash services. No. Yeah, I'm gonna say no on that. I mean, I know that more and more brands are pushing. Facebook vanity URLs and things like that. You want to learn more about us, facebook.com slash Coca-Cola, things like that. But I I guess I, maybe I'm just a minority. I don't go to a company's Facebook page to learn more about them. You know, I would trust, you know, like a, a simple search engine uh, query about that and go learn somewhere else. Because I feel like, you know, a Facebook page, that's going to be marketing bullshit. If, and if I want to get a good read on a company... You know, I want to go see what else, what someone else is talking about them, not necessarily go there. Plus, you know, like you said, Facebook is mostly about creeping on other people and that's getting into my creep time. So I just, I don't know if it's 65% of research is done on social media or Um, it's maybe done inadvertently. Right. Well, I, you know, I didn't really look into how do they define that broad phrase? You know, did they define that as came across i mean mm-hmm. ads clicking on ads does that count right as sort of going towards that that total mm-hmm. i think the the one outlier of that whole group in terms of i don't think people look up companies and products and things like that i think company people do check out local businesses local oh, sure. restaurants mm-hmm. especially 
Yeah, I don't I know what it's like for thing. Yeah, other big cities, but for yeah. ours, you know, the big trend. I mean, you obviously need your social media integrations, but a lot of restaurants, in particular, here um, don't. Some of them don't even have websites, which blows my mind. I mean, where? But, um, yeah, they just have a Facebook page with their menu and hours, or sometimes they don't have a menu, which, again, that's your business. Well, actually, side note right here. So if they do have a menu, why is it always in a PDF? Oh, yeah. Why is it always in a PDF? Yeah. So (laughs) Right. So, you know, taking that out of the equation. But, you know, I think that that's true. I also think what could be driving that 65% is, you know, with so many products these days that kind of push automatic integrations into liking a product, you know, like when you buy a phone or, you know, you buy a game or whatever it might be. So many of them now are, you know, somewhere in the installation process as a, you know, and like my product. And some people don't even notice that, which then pops up on people's news feeds and people might say, oh, Brad just bought X. I might go look at that. So I think maybe what's driving that 65% is just more creeping, but in a different way, you know, that things come across in the news feed that someone bought something. So I'm going to go check that out because I want to be in the know about what they just got. And do I need to get it to be cool? And I hope my stuff is better than theirs still. Right. Yeah, that's okay. So they don't wreck my game. (laughs) Right. Yep. Um, But again, I don't know if that's necessarily fair to say people, you know, I, I don't know if it's the same research, if that makes sense. I think it's just... That's creeping on lifestyle. Yeah, I think that's a weird stat. I think they threw it in here because obviously the kinds of people who would be reading this are business people and they would go, oh, 65%. Yeah, that looks good on the slide deck and PowerPoint. Exactly. But in actuality, I don't think it's like that. And, you know, you mentioned you you said, you know, companies have to have their social network presence. Mm -hmm. I really don't know that that's true for a lot of kinds of companies. I mean, you can have a Facebook page, but... Mm -hmm. Some sort of actual presence there. I don't know if that's necessary. It, I don't think it's, it's necessary, but if you're going to have one, you need to at least monitor it. Yes. That, that can get out of control. Yes. And if you're not policing that, then you know that can obviously be a right. black eye that you're ignoring. But I agree. I think that some people, it's overblown. I mean, it gives some 20-year-olds some jobs, so cool. But you know, I don't necessarily think that it, it contributes significantly to the business. So. A couple other stats... Um, 53% of people at least once a month compliment a brand. Mm -hmm. And again, this is one of those things. I don't know what they mean when they say compliment a brand. Right. Is that just liking it? That could just mean liking someone's Facebook page or a company's Facebook page. Which I might do inadvertently. Again, well, also, and this is a side sort of thing, is a lot of companies make you like their page to To get get something. something. What kind of... (laughs) Yeah, that's... What kind of con is this? Right. Well, I mean, a lot of people are just interested in those, you know, those light figures. Yeah, but Facebook should have never built in the functionality to allow that to happen. Well... It's where you like something and then you get something. Yeah, but then, you know, from their marketing perspective, we have X amount of engaged users and all that. I get why, but but Zuckerberg, you're rich. Why you let that happen? It's an outrage. (laughs) Sure. So... You know, that's another one of those. I'm not really sure what they mean by compliment brands. On the same spectrum, though, 50% of the people at least once a month use social media websites to express concerns, complaints about brands or services. So what was the figure for people that liked? 53. So it's pretty so close. It's half and half. But I would argue that the 50% that I wonder, go in to complain 
I feel like is greater because of the effort that one has to expend. You know, if like it depends on what Nielsen is talking about um, complimenting a brand, if that's just liking, then my effort that I have to expend to go in and complain or uh, remark on a brand in a negative way is much more effort than just going in and liking a page, especially like we talked about with so many automatic integrations. So the fact that they're neck and neck, I think would be troubling to some or, or be a mark to some businesses that you really need to pay attention to your social media channel because just as many people are, are apt to go in and expend even more effort to come in and negatively comment on your brand. Well, okay, so there's a couple ways you could look at this. That's one way, mm-hmm. which is that half the people sing praises about companies on Facebook. Well, mm-hmm. I'm just using Facebook as an example. Sure. The other half of the people use Facebook to bitch about stuff they don't like, right? Mm-hmm. The other way you could look at it is, is that half the people who use Facebook never say anything about anyone and the mm-hmm. other half use it to like companies and give or compliments and also complain at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it depends on how this is distributed. I wish they would have included data on that. Uh, that's a good point. That would have mm-hmm. given us a, a lot better insight into what exactly is going on here. And not to mention the difference between, you know, am I liking a page that's complimenting, but you can't unlike or dislike a right. page. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to complain, you have to actually leave a comment or something right. like that. Which, which is, is a little bit more effort expense. Obviously a lot more effort mm-hmm. to complain about something. And I'm I'm way more mad. So right. <laughs> I'm oh, a, I mean, there, kind of a vendetta. Right. And there's, there's something to be said for kind of our society and the ease of that complaint. You know, it's one thing to just type something out on Facebook. It's not like those old school, let me fill out a comment card with a lot of exclamation points and frowning faces. Well, you know, and hiding behind the internet, I think, makes people maybe a little bit more apt to complain. So here's an interesting thing that I've noticed with social media uh, management of large companies. So mm-hmm. people make a complaint. It's usually in a status update or something like, oh, Walmart screwed me, you know, whatever. Right. And then the Walmart corporate account will reply to it mm-hmm. and, you know, say something like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, you know, here's a free whatever. Right. I wonder if... People knowing that that sort of stuff happens leads to complaints. Uh, leads they to know me, that it'll get addressed. Right, that I might get some free something mm-hmm. by making a public complaint about, you know, my experience at Longhorn Steakhouse or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know. I might get free something. Isn't that our, uh, uh, what's that? I think it's Waiting. Waiting has where, an awesome scene. Right, where the guy's like, I want a Sunday and I want a steak dinner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen Waiting, highly recommend might second guess going out to eat for probably a month after that but it's still funny um (laughs) yeah so i I mean i think i i still don't think a lot of companies have a good handle on what they're going to be using social media for i mean I, i think one area i'm surprised that social media has never really gotten into and maybe it's for for reasons that you know they don't want to really intermingle the two is is e-commerce better you know you have these people's attention you have these brand pages um i know facebook did start stores for a while those never really caught on um and i know twitter's doing some weird experiment with amex i think it is and you can tweet (laughs) a purchase which is wow whack but it'll never take off right but and we'll probably eat our words in probably two months but anyways um 
you know, I, I think that we still have a lot to learn from social media, but I, I think the big takeaway is, you know, if you're really going to go down that rabbit hole, uh, then you need to at least take the time to really monitor it and, and really engage in a conversation, not really just use it to blast marketing messages um, because people just don't really find a lot of value out of that. So, um, but it is interesting to see that almost the same the same number of users use it for positive in as opposed to negative because I, I honestly I didn't think that those were going to be so equal. Yeah. So. Um 904-270-9603 tell us how you use social media websites. Mm-hmm. This is our own scientific study. Screw Nielsen. Right. We're way better than that. Right. <laughs> Let's get some numbers. Our awesome sampling us. of marketers who listen to the bearded marketers. All right is going to lend us some serious insight. That's beard action <laughs> on the mic. <laughs> so let us know. I mean, do you use social media websites to complain about other companies? Do you use it to... Creep on people. Let's be creep honest on people. here, people. Yeah, yeah. Let's, no let's, names, let's but just stories. let us know. We'll play them on the next episode of The Beard of Marketers. Right. So let us know. Again, 904-270-9603. Mm-hmm. Another topic I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, to close this sort of show out is videos on landing pages as sort of sales videos really in particular it's something i've noticed a lot on the classic informational long sales copy Mm -hmm. page that's been around since the beginning of the internet okay so sit at home in your chair and make a thousand dollars a day style yeah make money at home um a lot of the scam diet stuff okay Gotcha. Uh, you know, so I'm trying to think of some other. That we found. A lot of the yeah, a lot of the informational product type websites. Okay. It's, it's all scam stuff, but right, right. bleeding edge of the marketing really because they have to it's be incredibly competitive. competitive. Mm-hmm. So I pay attention to what these guys do and videos. Mad taking over landing pages right now, mm-hmm. especially animated type. And I guess the classic one right now is I'm writing on a whiteboard mm-hmm. animation sort of thing. Okay. So that's the that's the look and steez and no copy on the page, just a video. Interesting. Straight of explaining and talking through the product. Mm-hmm. So we talked about this for a bit, and I think video can provide a rich experience. I think as marketers, what we struggle to understand well is what are the capabilities of our visitors, and I don't mean that in the sense of what device they're accessing it with because that's easy to get. But, you know, if I have video on my site, does it rely on sound to make the sale? If so, does my visitor actually have the ability to listen to the video? Um, and does that, you know, really impact it? So there, there's one example. Two, what's the, the ability for the viewer to watch this video in a qualitative or quality state where it's not buffering all the time or you know it's a smooth experience or somewhat where it doesn't hamper the the ability to grasp what i'm trying to communicate um where it doesn't negatively impact the perception of what i'm trying to offer here so i think there's some real issues that you know marketers really and i think that's really why they've shied away from it is really not knowing how to tackle some of those some of those issues i think one area that I think is providing some sort of relief or an, an alternative is really some of the animation abilities of HTML5. So, you know, we are looking at tonight, um, Google has an as a ISP now, and they offer internet in Kansas City. Uh, I think they're expanding to other cities, but they have a landing page for their fiber product, 
where they use some HTML5 elements that provide some animation and um, neat elements on the page. But the load time and the size of those experiences are, are much smaller than watching something like a YouTube or a video. So they're able to kind of somewhat hybridize a rich experience without necessarily taxing the user in a strong way to load these elements. Plus, their elements aren't reliant on sound. You know, they, they interact with text elements or graphics um, to kind of communicate their idea. So they're trying to kind of go about it in a way that shows their technology forward, but trying to kind of hop step over some of these these points that I don't think us as marketers might ever know about other than, you know, looking at what users do on some of these players. Do a lot of people mute the sound immediately? Uh, you know, are people pausing the video a lot, maybe trying to let it buffer or lowering the quality, things like that. So again, I think it can provide some rich experience, but you know, you have to kind of navigate those waters really carefully and pay attention to what people are doing. But I think you had some good thoughts too on maybe we don't actually make it well, to where everyone can interact with it. Right. I mean, sort of speaking to your, you know, how do we account for cell phone users and mm -hmm. do we use HTML5 and other technologies that allow these these users to stream our videos and at a sufficient quality where they can still understand? I, I don't think that video is is going to work on mobile yet. Mm -hmm. I think the way that it integrates, at least on my iPhone, it hijacks the whole phone and takes it over and starts streaming the whole video. And right. it's just, I'm not going to watch a video on a landing page on my phone. Mm -hmm. At least not right now. Um, I think, though, that outside of that, desktop and PC users, for, for something that is needs a heavy sales, mm -hmm. I would... I would try going away from the heavy copy and use a video. Right. I'm thinking of mostly B2B type things. Mm -hmm. So in terms of like conferences, selling a conference or selling a benchmark guide, selling reports, mm -hmm. selling services B2B, um, I think those things could benefit heavily from video right now. Gotcha. But I don't, I don't really see it happening. Mm -hmm. And I don't either. I think potentially, you know... Another thing to consider as well is video does provide some barriers to entry because of not everyone can produce them like they can a landing page. You know, it's right. easy for me to go out and get a designer and a coder and be able to produce a landing page. It's much much more difficult for me to find that same quality to pr produce a video, whether that's, you know, providing live shots, whether that's even just putting together stills in a movie type format. So... I think there's definitely a difficulty present to generate that sort of content. That's a little bit more. But in the same token, I think that that's what makes you stand out as well. You know, not as many people are doing it. So if you can produce top quality stuff, then I think that's really what elevates you and the minds of the user and really helps stick you out. And potentially, you know, you get other benefits too. Like people share it because it's really cool and... You know, there's a lot of other benefits that can be had there. But, I mean, I think that that might be one I of the think, reasons why we see that. Yeah, I think also there's a difference between video and a landing page in terms of you can get away with a poor landing page and people can still handle it. Right. If you have a poorly produced video, though, mm -hmm. no, I mean, people are going to think less of your company, sure. to be honest. So mm -hmm. if you're going to do a video, you need to do it right. You need to get it professionally produced, either in-house or outsource it somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
but I think again, it's 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 the bleeding edge. It's those guys that are on the edge selling the make money online stuff and the diet stuff. Those mm-hmm. guys are are doing the things that no one else is doing in the industry right mm-hmm. now. And and those are the guys that pay attention to. Kind of like porn way back in the day was sure. the adult stuff was, you know, the first guys to really do the recurring billing and the mm-hmm. credit card stuff online. These guys right now, now, right? These guys right now are the guys to look look to for the stuff, right. the stuff that's that's going to make you stand out from everyone else in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm kind of, I mean, I'm excited for that. I mean, I think I'll be glad when we start parting ways with some of these long copy traditional style landing page formats and moving into kind of richer web. Um, and I, I think that that will help again, like. If you're willing to invest in your brand and you do good with what you have, you'll really set yourself, you know, apart. And it'll be that next layer of um, sticking out in that experience and being sticky in the mind of the users as well. I think it speaks just to the times, too. I mean, if you look at old ads and magazines, they were long sales copy ads. I mean, just even for a car, it was Mm -hmm. like... There were 20 paragraphs written about the car, which is right. to us right now is ridiculous because right. car ads right now are literally a picture of the car. Or maybe not even the car. And, it's a, of a celebrity or something like right. that with the and, logo at the bottom. Yeah, and, and the logo of the right. brand, not even the name of the car. So mm-hmm. you have to like go figure it out. So <laughs> it's, it's it's that abstract sort of thing. It's We don't have the attention span. No one's going to read your mm-hmm. long sales copy stuff. Mm-hmm. Video, I can just consume that instantly. Mm-hmm. And short sales copy stuff is is where it is right now. I think it speaks to people who are used to watching TV, consuming things in short chunks YouTube's. on Facebook mm-hmm. and Twitter and Instagram. I, I want things in simple chunks and video that's well produced with simple blurbs and statements. Just takeaways. It's takeaways. Mm-hmm. And, right. and that's what I want. And that's what's going to sell me. Mm-hmm. If you have a complicated process, sales process, Something that's expensive that you need to convince someone to buy. Right. Video is the way to do it. it it's not long sales copy anymore. Right. Hey, and like you said, I think sometimes for those more expensive and exclusive items, video might alienate some of your visitors, but maybe that's okay. Maybe to provide right. that rich experience, that that's okay. You know, and we've talked about in other episodes. You know, maybe as a company, we do not we do not try and make this accessible for everyone, you know, in the effort to try to answer all the questions that we can come up with or, or the what ifs, we end up crippling ourselves and providing a great experience and we have to dumb it down to the lowest denominator, like you said, uh, but maybe we don't, you know, maybe we take the, the decision of we have a great product, we want to provide this rich experience and we think it's essential and our conversion rates are showing it. And, you know, maybe for those people that can't access it, we provide a great way to interact with us later. Maybe it's an email capture, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, some, there's a ton of different creative ideas that, that we can generate for getting people to give us our information and accessing it later. So I think that's another thing to look at as well. Don't be scared to try something bleeding edge that maybe not everyone else can, can access. That's okay. Because um, maybe what you'll find is, you know, even if 30% of people can't use it, those 70 are now like hook, line, and sinker at this yeah. point. They're like throwing money at you. Just give me, <laughs> give me, I can't get this fast enough. Um, so don't be scared of that either. I know, you know, it might freak us out because, you know, we're always trying to 
make sure our, our websites are browser friendly and all these types of things. But maybe we need to get away from that in some instances and, and pr what we can provide people uh, might alienate some, but in the end uh, might result in stronger conversions and better buy-in. So. Right. 904-270-9603. Hit us up. Comments, complaints, love stories. Right. We want to hear it all. Mm -hmm. um, text us, voicemail us, whatever. Yeah. Give and, us a call. Uh, as the show evolves, we'll be looking to add some different segments. So feel free to give us a call again. It's 904-270-9603. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about. I mean, between Rob and I, we have a ton of experience, whether that's B2B, e-commerce, affiliates, PPC. Um, and let us know what, what you guys are struggling with out there. Um, and we probably have some sort of experience in that field. Or we're going to be bringing on some guests as well that uh, might be able to bring some, some great expert advice as well. So hit us up at the number, uh, leave a voicemail, a text, uh, and we'll talk to you guys in the next one.